0: Hi, my name is Alex Keon, and thank you for tuning in to Mentor Moments. I've personally been fortunate to have a great mentor in my life who has literally changed the trajectory of my career. However, I know that not every young person will have that same opportunity or experience. That's why I've created this podcast, to give you rare access to executives and leaders who will share insightful advice to help you on your personal and professional growth journeys. So joining us for this episode is Faye Isotoluno. She is the Chief Strategy Officer at Match Group, and in her position, she oversees strategy, consumer research, and new business growth for their global portfolio of dating products such as Match, Tinder, OkCupid, and more. Prior to joining Match Group, Ms. Isotoluno served as the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at SoundCloud and the Vice President of Digital Business Development at Viacom Media Networks, among other leadership roles. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Alex.
0: It's our pleasure. And I always like to start these interviews off by asking first, what did you want to be when you were growing up?
1: I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, so didn't exactly end up there. But uh, I remember being young and my parents uh, immigrated to the U.S. So for, for me and my sister, education was always such an important priority. And part of that meant Sitting around the TV every night watching the news, and I remember seeing Connie Chung, who in her days and even today is rare as a female Asian um, national broadcast journalist. You know, come through the television and touch us with you know her news and the stories and the importance of what she was doing. And so, when I was young, I always thought that that was such an incredible role to have. I unfortunately did not <laughs> end up in journalism school, um, but the power of communication I think is still so important um, and still so, you know in the context of business, something so relevant. So that stays with me and just looking back and seeing what she represented to me and seeing somebody who looked like me achieve and, and make such an impact, definitely left an impression in, in my future.
0: It's wonderful. And it's incredible to see still how you've played such a huge role in the media space. And that's incredible. And what was actually the path that led you to becoming an executive?
1: Sure. This time of year always makes me think about what my family and I did um, around Christmas. So every Christmas, we would end up watching a movie at the local movie theater. It was a great way of coming together and enjoying something that you know other people, so many people put so much effort and creativity into. So I really just developed this love of consumer products that touched people at home and just like on a day-to-day basis that was very tangible to me. And because of that, I wound up starting my career in media and entertainment. Um, So worked in investment banking, but focused in that, on that sector. And once I was there, you know, the market was already changing so quickly and digital was becoming a thing. Um, and that transition from um, you know, whether it's television or you know, movies that you, you go in person to watch to what does that look like digitally was was happening and happening at an incredibly fast rate. So I ended up working at Warner Brothers as well. So um, Time Warner and Warner Brothers, so large media companies. Also, then moved to Viacom, and in all these roles, really uh, worked worked in the space between transitioning business models. And after Viacom, I decided to go to SoundCloud, as you mentioned in the intro. And SoundCloud was the first time I worked at a digital first company. We woke up every single day thinking about how do we further the strategy for this company? Um, everybody w- we were building um, for that consumer preference. And it was such an amazing experience. and And I loved it so much. And ultimately I wound up at Match Group where I am now as the chief strategy officer. And so again, everybody, Um, at the company, we wake up every day um, with the mission of sparking meaningful connections for every single person worldwide. And it's an incredible mission for us to be taking part of.
0: And then just for our listeners who maybe don't know what a position like that entails, what do you do as a chief strategy officer?
1: Yeah. In my role, I focus on supporting and driving our company thinking around how to um, further our growth in the next five to 10 years. And that really means having an understanding of what consumer products need to be, right? And, you know, we're in a moment now where consumer preferences behaviors are changing so quickly on digital. Apps that you know today, some of them didn't even exist three years ago, right? Um, Brands that you know today, again, some of them didn't exist, you know, two years ago. And so how do we maintain our level of innovation um, and how do we invest in the right areas to to further the business? You know, I work on those big big problems and big questions, and deploy a lot of resources to to, to help answer that and, and shepherd the thinking. Additionally, uh, I also focus on that innovation piece directly. What products do we need to stand up to quickly test? Maybe it's test and fail. Maybe it's test and build, right? Test and scale. But that constant kind of thinking of innovation is so important in in what we do.
0: It's really interesting to me how you mentioned the fast pace of the industry you work in in particular. So what tips can you share about creating longer term plans if you are in an area that is evolving constantly, whether that's a project or a whole industry like yours?
1: The one thing that has really stuck with me as I've advanced my career is that affecting long-term strategy, as much as you want to have it happen quickly, takes time. And by time, I don't mean necessarily years, but because the types of things we're talking about, sometimes we're talking about bold moves, right? Or things around the corner that people have intuition or signals that is going to develop in a more meaningful way. Being able to bring people along for that journey that you're working with stakeholders that that need to buy into that will take time. And so one piece of feedback I think I would give is that for those in roles where, you know, figuring out that long-term strategy and getting that adopted, it's not going to be a one and done type of thing. It's a continual process that you know, each each of you and your, your peers will have to invest in. Um, but if the, the concepts are good and they're strong and they're right, it's worthwhile to invest in them.
0: And what is kind of some of the lessons you've learned from actually securing that buy-in from people? Like what is it that makes a difference between someone totally believing in the vision you've laid out and still being skeptical about it?
1: I feel that one of my biggest strengths is that I am a learner. I am kind of preconditioned to be in learning mode, which works really well in a industry that changes so quickly because what's happening around you constantly is moving. And so the things that were relevant 10 years ago just literally are not relevant today, right? Some of those things may be, but a lot of the rules and the principles you might have had 10 years ago for building a business just aren't relevant today. And so being in learning mode is a great way to be able to absorb and then share back to people that you work with why this is you know the direction that you want to go into um, you know even at Match Group I would say we recently have invested a lot on the video side and we think video is going to be a key component of dating journeys in the future but this was something we started to experiment years and years ago, but in fact, the market wasn't really ready for it. Right. And so being able to take those learnings and Put them in a different context, make them work for us in a different way, and then build upon them. Um, you know, being able to keep that narrative internally um, and show people what the future opportunity is because the landscape has changed, because COVID has ex- accelerated a lot of the trends that we already thought were going to happen. You know, that has been really powerful. So I do think that being able to um, be open to learning from those around us um, and then synthesize those learnings in a way for stakeholders to then also internalize and apply to their business is so important.
0: That's some great advice. And on that point of learning, one of the things that really interested me about your background was the fact that you double majored in economics and English. How do you think your humanities education has contributed to your success as an executive?
1: Yeah, I think the humanities side of my education gave me two things. One is the practice and the exercise of critical thinking. And then the second is empathy. So on the first, I started at Penn in Wharton. So I chose the pre-professional business school path. And I would say a semester in, I I recognize that I f- I felt like there was something lacking. And it's an amazing curriculum, an amazing program. But there's something more that I, I was I was wishing for. And so what I got from the humanities side, if you think about the types of classes and the types of things you're doing, you're answering pretty open-ended questions constantly, whether it's related to literature, whether it's related to social studies, whether it's related to history, right? You're you're answering these, there's no There's no formula to kind of come to a conclusion. And what that forces you to do is think about, you know, how do I prove a point? What evidence do I have to make this point? And is that a compelling point? So if I extrapolate those skills, I mean, that is something that I apply every single day in what I do. Right. And I do think that it's been critical to have that humanities background um, and, and that muscle built to do it. The second piece is empathy. What I do today, you know, where we're building consumer products, it's so important to understand how do you build products that, you know, resonate with users, that are compelling to them, that people feel safe in. And what humanities does. I think is create that level of empathy as well, because oftentimes you're learning or unpacking, you know, situations or narratives um, of other people, right? Or the other experiences and other people, it forces you to put yourself in those shoes for a bit and, and really think about what somebody else may be experiencing or why do people think that way? And again, that's just been so instrumental in my own career because I picked a career that focuses on the consumer. It's been so instrumental in being able to push myself to think about uh, think about our, our users in that way.
0: I can see how empathy is just a massively important skill, not just in the way you mentioned, but just in the workplace in general. What are some ways you think young people can build that empathy muscle if they don't already have that?
1: I think it's being really deliberate in finding and being open to those types of conversations. I'm very lucky in that uh, I have a consumer research team and we are able to speak to our users directly. We're able to ask them how they feel about our experiences. I'm happily married, but as part of my job, I'm on uh, on the apps that we have in our portfolio because I want to also experience what it's like to be one of our users, right? So I would say that putting yourself in that situation where it makes sense to be exposed so that you can learn firsthand is a great way to do that. And I think with technology these days, there's just so many, you know, different options to be able to do that, but then also being very open-minded in listening to how others are talking about their experiences, um, asking questions to dig further, right? not taking a response at face value, but diving deeper into what that means. And I think that works for me in, in terms of consumers. As well as internally, you know, for when I think about my team and I think about what, how do I make sure that, you know, I have empathy for, for the team and what their needs are. Um, so there's just a lot of these tactics, I think, but it really requires being deliberate about it.
0: Thank you for that great advice. I think those are some tactics that we can all practice in our day-to-day lives. So I appreciate that. And now I kind of want to shift focus to talk a little bit about 2020, because obviously adversity impacts everyone. But this has been a uniquely challenging year. So I'm curious, how do you deal with adversity whenever you're faced with it, whether that's on a personal level or something as global as a pandemic?
1: This year has been incredibly trying for, I think, everyone. I mean, the whole world, it's, it's an incredible year to look back on. I think the way I've approached this year, as well as adversity in general, is I tend to be a planner. Uh, I see the situation, I acknowledge it, and then I try to plan. And as part of that, it means being okay with controlling what you can control and recognizing there are certain things that you can't. But for those things that you can control, how do you uh, work with others whether that be um, your colleagues or your partner right or your family how do you work together to create a plan that you know, approaches that adversity head-on um, and and really be proactive um, and be a participant as opposed to you know being somebody that that adversity is happening to. Uh, so that's my approach. I also think, though, what's been relevant for me this year, as you know, we've gone through just so many ups and downs, is the ability to really take a moment and focus on self care. Um, I think that it's so easy to uh, glom on to all of the, the challenges and the adversity. Um, but taking a moment to invest in yourself um, is, is so important because, you know, no amount of planning or, you know, hours working is going to work if you're not in a right state of mind. And that state of mind needs nourishment too.
0: And then now in this time of COVID too, I think one thing that you kind of already touched on is, you know, we're more digital than ever. It's maybe a little bit harder to make those connections that we all expect to make as part of a workplace. What are some ways that people can find mentors during this time?
1: Two things come to mind when I think about finding mentors during this period. I think one is being open and overt about it. I think being able to actively seek out and voice that there are areas that you know you would love to have a sounding board on and talking to people and accessing others other people's network is incredibly valuable i think some people find seeking mentors um, a pretty overwhelming uh, process because, you know, you've got to talk to these people, you've got to convince them to want to help you, um, you know, you've got to make it worth your time. And to some extent, all of that is true. But on the other side, you know, most people in call it management positions, more senior positions actually want to invest in that next set of talent, right? And, many people are very open to helping if they can. And so being overt and flagging that, Hey, I I would love a mentor. Um, I'm thinking about it. Who do you think, do you know anybody who might be helpful? And I would say being more specific is better than not. I myself recently had the opportunity to, uh, mentor as part of a program between Fortune and the State Department. Um, So it was with a wonderful woman named Evelyn uh, in Uganda. So she's a tech entrepreneur in Uganda. And what was amazing was she showed up with specific questions that was going to help her, either personally, professionally, or to the business itself. And to me, that was great because I could tangibly see how my time spent there was going to help her, right? And so I would say, as people are thinking about mentors, what are some of those key areas that you wanna work on? Because some people will be better mentors for you in those areas versus others. So that's kind of the first thing about being overt and being very um, specific. I think the other one is that Mentors come, I think, in unlikely places. I mean, even to, to this day for me, I sit in meetings and I hear uh some of my colleagues, I hear, you know, executive teams, I hear external parties, and I am learning even as I'm sitting in those meetings, right? And I oftentimes will hear something and think, wow, that is such an interesting point of view at addressing that really complex problem or the way that person managed that um, human resource issue is really admirable. And those types of experiences then sometimes can trigger the idea that I actually wanna learn more from this person, right? How do I create an environment to be able to do that? So I think there's kind of that overt, you know, I, I want to be able to find somebody who helps me in these areas. And then there's a little bit more of the indirect, being open to those moments where you might be seeing a mentor in action and then being able to identify and follow up with that.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And then finally, if you could recommend one person, book, or podcast that you think young people could really learn from, who or what would it be and why?
1: I've been spending a lot of time reading and listening to podcasts related to women in leadership. I think it's been actually incredible over the last five years or so. I mean, the increase in the number of books and people investing in this area has been astounding. I am so appreciative of it. So whether it's books like In the Company of Women by Grace Bonney or um, Lead from the Outside by C.C. Abrams, right, these books to me are sharing the narratives which include both struggle and achievement by women and really allows me to think about and self-ref- self-reflect, think about how I approach you know, my, my own challenges um, and how do I unblock them and enable you know, me to achieve you know, all the things that I, I desire and, the, and reach the goals that I want? So I would say, especially if you're a you know, woman starting your career, developing your career, there's just so much content out there now tailored for you. And I can tell you definitively 10 years ago this would not have been a market that was that interesting and and it's the times have changed and it is so encouraging to see that um and so i would absolutely encourage folks to to seek that kind of content out
0: well thank you for the recommendations and thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it and i know our listeners did too
1: alex thanks so much for having me
0: thank you all for tuning in to this episode of mentor moments and i hope you'll join us on the next episode to continue your growth journey Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at mymentormoments.